Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Layman's Lounge. And today, Wes and I are discussing, should Christians be, be Protestants? So in contemporary American Christianity, Protestant churches are filled with sensationalism, theatrics, and worldly philosophies. All forms of church sacredness and tradition are lost. Is this proof that Protestantism has failed and that Christians should convert to Roman Catholicism, or even things like Eastern Orthodoxy. Again, I'm Lucas. This is Wes. This is the Layman's Lounge. It's a weekly sit-down where we discuss various topics related to Christians and the church. And I'll let my brother Wes take the summary for us to get this combo started. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I think this can be really the shortest episode we've ever done. Should you be Protestant? Uh, yes. No. Thanks for tuning in. Oh! Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we, we talked about this. Um <laughs> Should, yeah. should Wes and I become altar boys is, is what we're really asking. Uh, it's the bait and switch. Like you thought you were ta- we were talking about Protestantism, but really <laughs> yeah. this is our conversion. We're going the opposite. We're going to Rome. We're, go- <laughs> we're going to Rome. Uh, <laughs> should you be Protestant? Um, I, th- I think the answer is yes. And we'll expound on that. Uh, and to be clear, just from the start, it's not the question of are all Christians Protestants or are all Protestants Christians? The answer to both of those is no, not all Christians would identify or attend a Protestant church. And so there are Christians that are not Protestant. They're Christians. They are part of the true church. They will be saved and they are not Protestants. Um, Obviously everyone from prior to 1600, there was a true church. It's not like the church came into being or was magically restored in the 1600s, 1500s. Um, There's always been a true church. And so obviously for 1500 years, there've been people saved that wouldn't even have known what the word Protestant was. But even past that, even in our modern generation, there are many Christians that wouldn't identify themselves as Protestant and not all Protestants. It's not as if you're in a Protestant church, you're magically a Christian. Uh, And every individual has to have personal faith and trust in Jesus. And that's not necessarily There's no formula to it, I guess I should say. So you should be Protestant, yes, and we'll get into those reasons why. But um, this is almost maybe more a matter of Christian wisdom, Christian discernment, the importance of the church, not a question of eternal salvation. Justification on the basis of faith alone, the Trinity, those are questions of, are you saved? I deny those things outright. We have serious questions about whether you even belong to the church. Uh, If you're not Protestant, you may not be a Christian. Or you may be. And uh, so hopefully this conversation is helpful to you. Whether you are Protestant, strengthening up the reasons I would say, Lucas would say, you should stay Protestant. Um, or if you're not a Protestant, we would welcome you to consider some of the arguments for why, um, yeah, why you should consider being a Protestant. Some of the, I don't even want to say advantages, but some of the truths and some of the glories that can be lost in the two other really big denominations. And so to introduce it, um, there's Protestants, obviously, hopefully you're familiar with that term. We'll define it as we go on. You have the Roman Catholic Church as well. Roman Catholic Church, maybe you would know, 1.3 billion adherents. No, that's not 1.3 billion. God, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's up there, right? Right. And that's not 1.3 billion people literally every single Sunday filling up the pews. But on paper, there are at least 1.3 billion people confirmed in the Catholic Church. So that'd be, I would even yeah. rather say Roman Catholic. So Catholic simply means universal. So to specify, we're talking about the Roman Roman Catholic Church that has the Pope, who would be the uh, they would call the Vicar of Christ, that sits in Rome and um, is the head of it. So Rome is the head. It's the Roman Catholic Church, and then you have the Eastern Orthodox Church. So the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, really the Catholic Church, the East and the West, split in the eight hundreds over the question of the Philoque. Uh, which was, does Philippe, the spirit yeah. proceed from the father and the son or the son alone? 
Um, probably more a question of semantics, one of those things where they read bad intentions in. But ever since 800s, you've had then the Eastern Orthodox Church. It's very similar to the Roman Catholic Church in that it's a very top-down, structured, they give the appearance of unity. And this is, we can talk about one of the appeals, um, I think, in a modern age of looking at Catholicism and looking at Eastern Orthodoxy as they appear unified. So you have the Roman Catholic Church, and you have bishops, and you have priests, and you have um, archbishops, and you have all the way up to the top of the Pope. And it kind of looks like they're all on the same page. And same thing for the Eastern Orthodox Church. They appear to have this whole canon and these councils and these decisions that are uniform. They agree with one another. So you have the Eastern Orthodox Church. You have the Roman Catholic Church. Protestantism, people love to say, oh, there's 30,000 Protestant denominations. Which one should you 40. pick? 40,000. Yeah. The number keeps yeah. going up. Um, <laughs> some overnight overnight denominations got dropped off. <laughs> there's really about six streams of Protestantism. There's Methodism, there's Charismatics, um, Pentecostal. You have Presbyterian, Lutheran, um, Episcopal, which would be kind of a American version Anglican. of the Anglican Church. Exactly. Anglicanism and Baptists. So I think I named seven there. Some of them could really kind of be combined you really only have seven big streams. And even within those streams, like Lutheran and Presbyterianism, they're not night and day different from each other. Uh, they share a lot of the same views. It would just be on the sacraments, for example. Uh, they would differ. So don't ever think of, you should reject when someone tries to tell you, like, well, there's a unified Catholic Church and a unified Eastern Orthodox Church. And then the 30,000 denominations of Protestants over here. That's just not the case. Yeah. And uh, the thing, you know, that got us talking about this, because on online, you know, there's a lot of talk, talk of people saying things like, this is why I'm Catholic, or this is why I love the Latin mass. When they look at the, the follies, and I will say, you know, call it what it is, the follies of even jellyfishdom, non-denominationalism, you know, Protestant churches. So there, there is a lot of follies and there seems to be younger people, they um, converting to these, you know, either Roman uh, Catholic or Eastern Orthodoxy. Or, you know, you know, like maybe, I don't know, is, is there any other sects out there that are non-Protestant Catholic traditions? Like, like maybe like Oriental, you know, you can throw in there. But there, there, there seems to be an influx of these of these younger, uh, you know, ch uh, children, uh, younger adults, mid-30s, late, you know, or early 20s converting to this. And, and you know, why? why? Why are they doing this? Well, I think they have their reasons. And I, and I actually think that a lot of these um, critiques that the Catholics give against the Protestants, like saying, like, this, like, this is why I'm Catholic. I sympathize with them. I understand because these Protestant churches, like I said in the, in the intro, they're, they're filled with sensationalism. There's theatrics, there's worldly philosophy. Like we just went through, you know, it's it's been four years and 2020 hit hard and wokeness. Prior to that, it was building up, building up social justice. It, you know, there's, there's a lot of folly. There's a lot of, you know, it's just a joke, you know, a lot of times like, you know, with these churches. And so I sympathize with them because they, like me, and probably, you know, Wes too, we want that traditional Christianity. And if you want that tradition, if you're looking for that, and if you go to your average non-denominational evangelical church, you go in there and it's the opposite. It's, it's uh, you know, games, it's a performance, there's a band on stage, there's this dark lit atmosphere, there, you know, there's lights, there's this, you know, there, there, there's this comedy Jesus and my boyfriend stage. music. Yeah, there, there's cool coffee shops and whatnot. And again, if, if you're tired of everything the world has been throwing at you, indoctrinating you with, and you want 
traditional sacredness that comes from God, can you can you honestly blame some of these kids for going to Catholicism? Maybe you know you know maybe there there is some truth to this. I think there is some some truth to this. I'm not saying convert. I think you shouldn't convert to Roman you know Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy. I should I think you should remain remain a Protestant. But at the same time, it's like well we we earn this critique. We we deserve this. We deserve uh, Catholics to come in, look at these mega churches, and say, "This is why I'm Catholic." Yeah, we deserve it. You know, we're not giving them reasons to be Protestants. We're you know we're you know we're putting on charades every Sunday morning, and everything's just you know curtailed for the attracting worldly people who don't want Christ and the people who do want Christ. We just leave them there, like that younger generation that wants tradition. Oh, you're you know, you're racist, you, you stay in line, you better get on board with this, you got to be an ally of LGBT, where it's like, okay, cool, bro, I'm out, I'm going to convert to Catholicism, I'm going to go to this, because you're not giving me sacredness and tradition. Right. Because a lot of times, I'll let you talk, you know, so I'm not going on, on too long. But when you see this, 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 again, this performance happening in Protestant churches today, and when Catholics say things like, this is why I'm Catholic, this is why, I'm, I'm Orthodox, this is why I love the Latin Mass. What they're saying is not so much I want, per se, this aesthetics, but they're saying church is sacred and holy, and you guys aren't showing it. You guys don't even believe that. And I think that's the heart of the issue, is church sacred and holy. Hmm. And when you go into a Catholic church, there does seem to be this, like you said, like, like the, there is this appeal where it's like, oh, this kind of does feel a little more sacred. It kind of does feel like the sacraments are holy church is holy the word being preached is holy the prayers are holy you go in there you know you're quiet you wear your sunday clothes the, the priest is in his attire so you know aesthetics beauty reflect sacredness holiness and if we don't believe that we throw that out the window which you can see in a lot of these protestant churches that's what these people are are saying hey you guys don't believe the church is holy anymore and i think a lot of them are right you yep you said exactly what I was going to say that our churches, the way they're decorated, the way we do our service, the aesthetics of it, like churches always had steeples. Well, why? Because we think funny triangles that are elongated on the top of the roof. No, it was intended to point to heaven. Everything about your church, from the building that it meets in, from the way you dress, from the, the order of the service, the songs you sing, they communicate something. So you're exactly right. And, and that's why in the Middle Ages, I mean, we call them the Dark Ages, but there's so much beautiful art and architecture and everything that was done during that time because people were becoming aware that if there's a God that has condescended in Christ for us to worship, it's actually to our good to begin to build buildings and order life uh, to reflect that. So we're going to make beautiful buildings because God is the author of beauty. We're going to have a, a ceremony, um, a, a service, worship service. That's a little bit of a new term, but we're going yeah. to have a, a mass, the gathering of the people, and it's going to be ordered and structured because God is a God of order and structure. It's going to be solemn because what he's done in Christ is not frivolous or or loose. And so that's exactly right. Now, to be fair, it's tough. Like if you're a small church, a church plant, and you have to meet in a um, school, for example, you have to meet in an elementary school. Uh, most elementary schools, at least in my area, they don't have stained glass windows. Um, but I've seen churches, they have to meet in elementary school, they still wear robes, and they put a paneling of stained glass window in the back with an image of a dove. Do you have to do that? No. But I really appreciate, because like you said, so many people, and they want stability. I mean, so much of our aesthetics, for one, it's bland, it, it's minimal, 
It, it's yeah. it has no reference. I mean, look at postmodern art. It's abstract. It's a banana taped to a wall. That's not an exaggeration. And so <laughs> people rightfully look at that and they're like, that's ugly. And you're right. Then they turn around and they say, there looks to be a time. There looks to be a people and a spiritual tradition uh, that had that mindset that beauty matters. Beauty is an objective thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I can completely sympathize. But then what would be the argument why someone should leave that behind? Well, I think what we got to realize, too, is that the way we do church now as Protestants and, you know, why I say, you know, the way we do it, like the majority, not all Protestant churches are like this. But in America, you know, you're, you know, your average one, right, is 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 rightly just meeting in a, in a shoebox. It's what they're meeting in. Right. <laughs> it's just a rented out shoebox. Like, it has know, string lights, it though. Is. A shoebox <laughs> with string lights. And they make it dark inside. Right. There's light. And there's a big band on stage. And that's what they do. But, you know, what's interesting, too, is that these same people that will say and critique, like maybe Wes and I saying, oh, but you can't focus on the beauty of churches. You can't focus on that. You know, it's all about the heart. These are the same people, though, that will use every fleshly means to attract people, mm. like dark atmospheres, band on stage, hipsters, you know, rocking out and jamming out with mustaches <laughs> in flannel to uh, appeal to people. Come as like you the, are. You know, the same people. Yeah, these same people that will say, oh, it's not about the beauty are these same people who are hip or who are being hypocrites and, you know, and with the double standard trying to do the exactly what they're saying, don't use beauty to attract people. Not that we are trying to use beauty to, to attract people because, again, like you mentioned, beauty is from God. Right. Beauty, you know, God created beauty. Beauty is objective. Why? Because God created, you know, beauty comes from God and there is a sacredness to it. It's, it's almost, like when you go in your, I would just say, no, I'm sorry, go on. It's almost a denial of nature. Like human beings are yeah. made to to create order and to see beauty, like to to order our lives to be beautiful, to want a home, like a husband builds a home, the wife, you know, fills it with love. Like all of our life is supposed to be ordered towards creating things that are worthwhile, uh, lasting, authentic, and beautiful. So when you say like, oh, that stuff doesn't matter, well, that's what makes us human is is to adore things, to behold, to worship, to yeah, to love life. And so it's even more fundamental than just an over-spiritualization. It's a denial of how God made us, I would say. And even marriage, marriage reflects this when people get married. And, I, and I'm, I'm borrowing this from uh, Redeem Zoomer. You know, he brought this point up and it's great. But he talked about how when people get married, they get married. <laughs> they they normally don't go to their church. Right? They're Protestants. They get married in a beautiful, historic, traditional looking church. Why? Why are, are they being superficial? Mm. Well, some people say, well, maybe, but there, you know, there's something to it that even marriage re- you know, reflects beauty. You expect the, the photos to be beautiful. You expect the, you know, the bride to be beautiful. Why? Right. She's reflecting the church. Isn't it ironic? The bride is reflecting the church and she's beautiful on the wedding day. And yet the bride is choosing rightfully. So, you know what? I don't want to take pictures at my church. I want to go to this church over here. Right. She wants to be beautiful, man. That's a great analogy. My mind is like, yeah. <laughs> Right, because you can never push nature down completely. It's always going to come up. Like even if you make your church, not make your church, but choose to not adorn it with anything beautiful. Well, someone's still going to say like, wait, the bride should be beautiful. And they're going to get married and look beautiful in a church set not, that isn't yours. Like you can't at every level, like you think about basketballs in the ocean, keep every single basketball down. So it's just a denial of, yeah, how God made it. That's good. Yeah. And the church is, is his bride. And people will say, well, you know, the church is the body of Christ. Amen. 
but it's also you know again like you know we have a physical body christ is, is going to resurrect us physically and we'll and we'll be beautiful um so it's so it's not it's not one or the other but you know just to go back to what i said is that the churches today they haven't been this because if you went to like i don't know uh you know how, how like how long do you think like 70 years maybe you go back and like protestant churches did have beauty protestant churches did have that that sacredness like you go to presbyterians methodist churches lutheran churches anglicans right anglicans probably wouldn't consider themselves protestant so maybe we'll keep them out of that sure but you go to those three denominations they you know they had beauty they had that tradition they had that sacredness you know even baptist churches there was the altar the pews it was white some of them had stained glass windows and whatnot so it's 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 recently more so like over the last maybe 30 years where we just lost this beauty and we just lost sacredness because beauty and sacredness i think are are connected if something's sacred it's beautiful hmm. i don't think you think you can have one without the other yeah um you know uh so currently we're in a bad spot and catholics come along orthodox come along and say this is why i'm pro- uh, i'm not protestant well it's like well don't be discouraged because we you know we recognize this right you know you're you not know, crazy recognizing you know, there's an that. issue yeah so we you know we do have to go back to church being being sacred yeah yeah, so I mean, really, what I've heard from the conversation so far is convert because they have beautiful buildings. Now, um, so what would be the argument? I mean, I can offer one that I think: why should you be Protestant then? So, so we have had a, a degradation in modern times of some of these aesthetics. Uh, so now that's only one argument, though. There's theology, there's ecclesiology, there's all these different things that should influence why you choose to go to the church you do. I can offer one specific to the Catholic church, like why someone should think very long and hard, why they shouldn't join a Catholic church. And that's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So hopefully uh, you, the listener are familiar with it. Uh, It's really, I would say it's essential to the gospel, just in that it's what makes the gospel run. It's what powers your Christian life. When you realize that I'm not made right with God on the basis of what I do and the basis of what I think and the basis of my performance, I'm made right on an act of grace through Jesus. Um, so justification by faith alone is the heartbeat. And and here's the disconnect. Here's why there can be Catholics that are true Christians, but you should still not be Catholic. The Council of Trent, this would have been 16, it was after after Luther died, might have been 16 yeah. years. They declared anathema every individual that would hold to the idea that an individual is justified on the basis of grace alone. So the Catholic Church formally in their councils, which they have said, do not err, rendered the verdict that you cannot believe that it is simply your faith towards Jesus that makes you right with him. You need, so the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. Scripture gives two, I would argue. Catholic Church has seven. Baptism, that cleanses original sin. The sacrament of the mass. You have the sacrament of priesthood, sacrament of marriage, sacrament of confession, sacrament of penance. Uh, These are the ways that you attain grace. And so if you say, No, actually, even if I do none of those, I think of the thief on the cross, but I have faith in Jesus, I'm saved. That's Protestantism. That's Protestant theology, whether it be Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodism. Um, But the Catholic says you are not justified on that basis of that faith alone. You need grace metered out through these sacraments of the church. So now here's the beauty of it. I think every individual, you can push back on me here, every time... Bible says two or three, so let's let's leave the group as small as that. Two or three individuals in the name of the risen Christ gathered together on a consistent basis to worship him according to his word, 
there's a church. It may have problems. It may be riddled with error. But where the word is preached, Calvin would say, where the word is preached and the sacraments rightly administered, you take bread and wine in honor of Jesus, you administer baptism, two or three people, no matter how much error you have, maybe you all got saved yesterday, that's a church. So in Catholicism, you have an overarching structure, but you have individual parish churches that meet. Those parish churches, as insofar as those are individuals gathered in the name of Jesus on Sunday, a true church, not saying every single individual attending is saved, I would say a true church really is there. They're looking to worship, like Mormons deny God in the sense that they believe there are many gods. So they're not worshiping the one true God. But as far as, as, far as Catholics come together and they say, I want to worship the true God, uh, his son Jesus who rose from the dead to take the bread and the wine, I think that's a church where salvation is possible. But if it's a consistent church, I really don't think it is because the consistent doctrine, if it holds and preaches from the pulpit, the decision at Trent, that's that's not a church, I would say, according to the word. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, so it starts out, you know, a lot of this comes down to jurisdiction, authority, and, you know, we can go straight into, okay, where's the authority? Martin Luther flagged the scriptures. They said the church, like even going back to like when two or three are gathered in my name. Um, and, you know, what is a church, right? Where, where God's people are, are there, the sacraments are, um, you know, are administered and then the word is preached. Well, the Catholic church would come in and say, there, you know, there's three people, right? And you're, you're together on the Lord's day. You're doing the Lord's supper. They would say, hold on. You can't do that. Right. That's only through our jurisdiction. If I'm saying that, saying that right. Yep. <laughs> jurisdiction. So you have to then submit to your elder or your your bishop, your priest. You know, there's this whole hierarchical structure from the top down. And so, the, so what what Protestantism does is says, no, well, really they, they they agree there there is there is this authority, you know, power. There is this juris, jurisdiction, but where we disagree on where this lies. So the Catholic Church will come along, you know, say like that, you know, they barge in the house. It's the Pope. I'm the vicar of Christ. You can't do this. Submit to me. What, what what would be the Protestant response? Sola scriptura or primer scriptura, you know, the scriptures, you know, like, you know, uh, you know uh, whatever you call it, it's the scriptures. We say, no, the, the jurisdiction, there is a jurisdiction. It's here. It's not invested in you. It's vested in the scriptures, the word of God. And that would then allow and give credence, credibility from God so it you know it is coming from God. It's authority from God. It's not from the church. That would that would allow three people to be there and give out communion, give out the Lord's Supper, give out baptism, have the word preached, and be called a church. So you know the question we got to ask ourselves is: Is that true? Right. Where 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 does the authority lie? Where does the you know you know the power lie? You know you know the Catholic will say, well, we believe the scriptures are the word of God. Well, okay, you do, but it's also not just the scriptures; it's the church. It's this. And they'll add, like there's a word of, they'll add add, like, and translate it as do penance. So they say they're the authority. And then the scriptures, they'll translate or they'll say what they mean happens to serve their purposes. Because I was just telling you, Wes, yesterday, I just learned that Methodism had this problem of the sacraments. There was a sacrament problem. So they started out, and we don't think of this much, or maybe I don't. But they, you know, they they were coming from the Anglican tradition. They were still considered themselves Anglicans. They were just a movement within Ang- Ang- Anglicanism. And as they were preaching, as more people coming to faith, more people were forming, uh, you know, bands as they call them, societies. And there was preaching houses. There was a sacrament problem. Wait a minute, we need baptism. We need communion. 
okay, well, you got the Anglican church, go, go get the communion through this priest, that priest. And then some of them were like, well, well, why don't you ordain us so we can give out the sacraments? John Wesley, Charles Wesley were like, no, we can't do that because if we ordain people, that's separation. So Charles Wesley argued that ordination is separation. So hmm. what do they do? Well, we got to go through the Anglican church. And, and, and there was a problem, right? Like they, they were missing out on something. And it, it, you know, the, uh, the relations were down. It was hard to get the sacraments. So, you know, what would be their choice, choice in that part? Because you could have that same thing happen today. Say there's like in Africa, right? Some, some foreign region where three people get saved, five people get saved. They're meeting now. What do they do? There's no Catholic church in sight. Right. Are they not justified to give out the Lord's Supper? Do they have to go to Rome <laughs> or somewhere within their vicinity? Is it, is, it, is it credible? Is it a credible church? Well, the word of God would say, yes, it is. Yes, amen. The Catholic church would say, no. So you have to ask yourself, who's right? Who has the final authority here? Protestantism, you know, fl- plants a flag. You know, here I stand, right, Martin Luther, right in, in the word of God and say, you know, I, I can do no other, right? That's where my conscience is convicted. And my authority is not for myself, it's from the word of God. And when, when running the authority questions, so like, all right, the Roman Catholic Church would say all of this grace, because sacraments are a means of grace in Catholicism. All this grace is locked up in the church. Methodism too. The what? Methodism too. Really? Oh, means of grace? Yeah, so they communicate God's grace to us so that it works to strengthen and confirm us in the faith. And Lutherans and Anglicans would believe in that as well. Oh, gotcha. I'm sorry. So as the sole means of grace. So in Catholicism, the sole means of grace, the sacraments. Um, So the Roman Catholic Church says that and Protestants say what they say. Who has a very vested interest in maintaining the authority, the structure of an institution worth billions and billions of dollars with tons and tons of land? It's very much so in the Roman Catholic Church's interest. Again, that doesn't mean they're wrong necessarily, but you have to look at what possible motives could be there. It's very much so in their interest to say salvation is only in this church. We're the exclusive holders of the sacraments, of these means of grace. And I, I in my, my estimation, that's really, you can almost like as Catholicism evolved, and I would say even too, as it veered off. So, I mean, you had a Catholic lowercase c church you know, through hundreds of years and things began to offshoot to the side. You have the schism of uh, the 800s. Um, but one of the streams that began to evolve was that the church has this lock and key on the means of grace. Because this this was Luther's tortured conscience. He went through all the things that the church said you can receive grace through. So he felt guilty. He knew he was a sinner before God. And he climbed up steps on his knees. He went to these holy relic sites. He would spend eight hours in confession and he didn't feel forgiven. So he had all these external trappings. That's like, you got to get grace through here, grace through this. But then he realized, he read the scriptures like, wait a second. Grace is given to the one who doesn't work on the basis only of they have faith in Jesus. Romans 1 16, um, not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God of salvation. Mm-hmm. The righteous will live by faith. And uh, and so when you're looking at it like, man, my Roman Catholic church tells me they're the only way of salvation. It's also pretty convenient for them to kind of maintain power and, and threaten people. Like, we'll kick you out of the church if you disagree. Or like I think of the church blessing same-sex unions. Well, it's going to be pretty tough for people to speak up if they spent their whole life as a bishop. That's where their paycheck comes from. That's the only place salvation is possible. It's going to be tough for them to stick up and say, wait, 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 no, homosexuality is an abomination 
according to God's word. Uh, so there's a real interest for the Roman Catholic Church and even the Eastern Orthodox maintaining their power, maintaining their authority. Yeah. So, well, you know, let's talk about this now, though, now, because, you know, looking at the current circumstances, right? Okay, you know, Wes Lucas, you know, I hear you, but like, how do we explain then, you know, the current situation of the contemporary model of the Protestant churches, why, why we maintain, okay, I, I'm not going to be Catholic, I'm not going to be Orthodox. So what do we do with our current churches? We, you know, really, should we then just be non-denominational? Should we just be independent? Should we have no church structure? Should we not care about beauty? Should we not care about that? Like, you know, where do we go from here as Protestants? Like, because there is, the, 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 there is a need. There, there is an issue in Protestantism today, too. So it's not just, you know, the Catholic Church. You know, we could talk so long about Catholic Church. Right. Um, Orthodox Church. Well, okay, but, you know, we also have our problems, too, Protestantism. So, like, do you, you know, Wes, do you think or what would you think is one thing that the Catholics are right about? Or, or would you disagree with some of the things that I, that I brought up where it's like, that critique. This is why I'm Latin, or sorry, this is why I love the Latin Mass. Yeah, this is yeah. why I'm Catholic. Like, do do they have a point with what they say sometimes? In that, I mean, both structures. Like, you would never see an ordained woman priest in Catholicism. You'd never see one in Eastern Orthodoxy either. They've been pretty structured and resistant to the influence of modernism. And I think what is good there, like of the positive, is um, they can be resistant to the winds of change. Like when you're you're five years old, say you're a church plant that's five years old, um, it's going to be really tempting when the Black Lives Matter thing happens. Like all the people that are joining you, like they don't have this long history. You don't have this long tradition that kind of says, you know, that's not something we even get involved in the first place. It's going to be very tempting to jump onto what's popular. When you have an institution that is, I mean, in the case of the Eastern Orthodox Church, roughly 1,200 years or so of a formal establishment, um, and again, they're not as unified as they claim to be, but when you have 1200 years or something, it's a little bit easier to be like, well, in the last 10 years, you know, Protestants have started ordaining women ministers. Are you going to do it? Uh, no, we're not worried about what happened in the last five years. We're not interested in being that current and that relevant and Protestants need to get that into their bones. If you, I would just take your Presbyterian or if you're a Methodist, maybe take their views from 1700 you could just sit on them for 15 years, I would say. The first 15 years of your church plan. Okay, no women pastors. Um, this is what church looks like. This is how we do church discipline. Um, this is how we do it. We're not going to mix it up. We're not going to change it. Oh, we don't want to do the reading of the law anymore. Uh, we should hold to what's called the old paths for a reason. The well-worn paths, uh, I would say, that our ancestors, like they were smart men. There really were a lot of smart men. John Wesley was a brilliant man. And so rather than, you know, disrespect, but, you know, I'll oh, redeem Zoomers saying we should do this. Like, well, let's start with Wesley. And then after maybe living in that for 15 years, uh, let's maybe expand and say, okay, where could we improve now? Because there, there is a misunderstanding, too, of what it means to be Protestant. A lot of them will think like solo scriptura means I'm just going to be my own. Like, right. I'm going to start over on Christianity. I'm just going to, you know, start start from ground ground zero and i'm going to forget everything and like i'm going to be i'm going to be pious um you know i'll i don't like labels no creed but you christ know, want, you know creed but christ which means i right i'm yeah. the creed right right my <laughs> made up one at the spot because you can't yeah you can't it, the the reformation if you look at it and this is you know one of the 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 easy things to learn is that they weren't looking to break off from the catholic church they wanted to reform it that's what it means to reform 
It right. means we're not going to leave. We're not going to run away. We're going to reform it. And if it's interesting because you know we we love Martin Luther, don't we? We love to talk about him. Oh, sola scriptura. I'm all for him. Here I stand. If, if the average if the average Protestant went to a Lutheran church, they would think this is works. Yeah, this is heresy. They would hate it. They would be like, no creed but Christ. <laughs> what are all these it, smells it and bells? Yeah, like baptism, regeneration. What? You're a heretic. You're not transubstantiation. My John MacArthur Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. you know, don't, don't be deceived. Protestantism doesn't mean that no creed but Christ. I'm ahistorical. I reject, you know, history. I'm going to start over and ground zero and work my way up because then you do have like, you know, and this is a famous one. Well, we're having a conversation about insert whatever current social issue is going on, right? Where you try to get an answer from your pastor. Hey, what about this? We're having a conversation. Why? Because they're, they are starting over from ground zero. They're, they're trying to brand themselves. They're in the process of branding themselves and marketing themselves. Right. They're, you know, they're trying to make a, um, oh, we're going to working on a, a current statement against this. Why do you have to, to make current statements? Because you are, you have no history. Hmm. You don't subscribe to a tradition where it's like, yeah, for all the knocking that, not that, you know, we give towards denominations, they have a tradition where they don't have to be like, we're having a conversation about it. We're, we're, we're going to make a statement on it. Well, if you had a tradition, if you had a body, you wouldn't have to worry about that. You can just be like, no, this is what they taught. We're going to stick to it. I'm not going to bring in change. And there is a stability for that. So, you know, I think uh, one of the ways forward is to get more historical in your Christianity. Shocker, right? <gasps> what are you saying, Lucas? Get more historical in your, you know, Christianity. Get more historical in your Christianity. Realize we're we're standing on the shoulders of of faithful, godly men in the faith, and we're and the church is building. It's building. It's building. But if you say, insert here in twenty twenty, I'm going to make my own church and tear out the foundation. Well, you're cut off now from the tradition of, of of God's people, of faithful, godly men that God taught, that God inspired, and God. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, Charles Wesley said was, "God buries a workman, but carries on his work." So, you know, God didn't just use Charles Wesley, John Wesley, um, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, you know, famous men of God, and Martin Luther, and just stops. He 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 continues to use them. He continues to build upon that, and that is, you know, scripture. Like, you know, we can. Talk about how scripture says the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Right. But if I say no creed but Christ, I'm going to forget about that. Well, then you are going to have problems at, as a Protestant. And you can critique the Catholics all day long, but but you do have problems too. And you and you got to deal with these problems. Yep. You'll be making it up on the fly. So Obergefell, the approval of same-sex marriage, you'll be making it up on the fly. Like, oh, I don't know. What do we think about this? We got to put out a statement. Well, the church has done some thinking on sexuality for about 1900 years. That you can draw from. Like we don't have to, to go back to, you know, ground zero, rebuild, rebuild again. No, that's good. And I would say too, like we did say one of the benefits of Catholicism and of Eastern Orthodoxy is a bit of an insulation from the trends. But I mean, modernism, it's, it's really leveling. It's doing a work on the foundation. Like you see the Roman Catholic Church blessing same-sex couples, some 53% people love to think of Eastern Orthodoxy, so trad, so conservative, 53% of adherents in a recent Pew Research poll uh, said abortion should be legal in most cases. They're not these bastions of traditional conservative values. They're full of nominal 
uh, Christians, probably not even Christians, uh, sometimes with a small sect of con- of converted, devoted individuals. But it's so often made out to be like, oh, there's these bastions of of just you know tradition and history, and they've got all of it. And then there's Protestants over here with with women priests. No, every single, I mean, every single denomination, just about, unless you're too small, every single church, Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy included, there's a true church and a false church within it. There are the false Christians in the Eastern Orthodox Church who think abortion should be legal. You're not a Christian. If you would, here I stand, we should be able to kill children. You're not a Christian. So there's a false church mixed in with, I'm sure there are genuine Christians in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And that's everywhere. There are genuine Christians yeah. in Methodism, genuine Christians. But even if you're a Baptist and you don't believe in abortion on demand, doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian if you don't have faith in Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, we should stop thinking in terms of like, is this a true church? Almost everyone in it is saved. It's this bastion of truth, false church completely. No, every single grouping of churches, I don't want to say every single church, but like every single grouping of churches, we're going to have some of the false, some of the true. Do, do you think, uh, you know, what do you think about um, denominations then? Like, you know, Protestant denominations, do you, do you think that we should try to go down that path where, you know, take them back, um, you know, redeem them? You know, what do you think about that? Or should we be independent? Like, is there, is, is, is there flaws with one or, you know, yeah. like, what, like, 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 what should we do? Or, or should we just continue to be independent churches and pray for revival? Because you know what, I will admit, it, it's hard to answer, isn't it? It's like what you know, what should we do? Yeah, going forward. I mean, praise God for the men like the SBC. Like you can write off the SBC, and there are problems with it. I mean, like Church in the Glades that does, you know, theater shows on Sunday. They're technically an SBC church, if I remember correctly. So you can look at that and be like, oh, the SBC, write it off. It's fifty thousand churches. They send missionaries out. Um, they have a, a basic statement of faith like that is now going to be used to kick out women pastors, which is good. They kicked out Rick Warren's church, Saddleback. So it's tough to completely abandon them, but it's such a changing time that adherence to a denomination might prove more difficult. Like, for example, uh, you could have been in a denomination that was solid, that was local, COVID, BLM, everything happened, and they could have gotten one of those wrong. It'd be really hard to partner. Like charity can overlook some differences. Like it really can. You really can share a denomination with people that differ on baptism and this, that, or the other. But there's some things charity can't and shouldn't look over. So I would say like, if you're joining a denomination, like there, there can be reasons to do it as in your church joining a denomination. Uh, but it comes with some drawbacks. I don't know that that question is answered right now. Like we're going to have to have the dust settle on postmodernism before we really see what the future looks like of the church. I'm optimistic. But. I, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think too, the church does, does gen- need a, a genuine, not, not a fake revival, a genuine uh, revival on a mass scale. And it's like, well, maybe then we can talk about, should we go back to our denominational sex? Um, you know, like what should we do, do about that? But, but that almost comes at a time where it's like, if you're not even following Christ, what does it even matter about your denominational structure? Because then it could get too business oriented. Where I think a lot of these um, denominations, like Global Methodists, I think they're 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 too concerned about preserving their institution and rebranding. Like like they're going through a rebranding right now. And I look at that, I'm like, it's 2023. You're rebranding Methodism, right? 
like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you, you know, you're just starting over on your denomination. It's like, oh, we're working on it. Like, you know, they don't have a single GMC church in New Jersey. Oh, we're working on it. What are you working on? It's like, it's like, you know, you already got a body and tradition. Like, like, like what, you know, what are you doing? And, and there's a concern about preserving themselves. It's not really so focused on what we need revival. We need to recognize, Hey, our churches right now in America, they're apostate, the majority of them. I'm not saying there's not true Christians. The majority of them, every church denomination right now, if you're looking, including Catholics, by the way, there is wokeness, there's problems, there are apostates not following Christ. So it's like we need a mass revival. But I do think there are some things that, you know, regardless of denominations, we can all work towards. And I think one of them is, yeah, recognize that church is holy. Recognize that church is sacred. And there was a reason why we did things like Sunday clothes. It wasn't because we were just superficial, legalistic. legalistic. Yeah, fundamentalist Baptist, or it's like you got to do this, otherwise you're not saved, and no smoking or dancing. Okay, that was wrong, <laughs> but they weren't wrong on everything, right? They, you know, they weren't wrong on everything. Like the sacraments, they are holy. Um, church is holy. Church is sacred. We should treat it with with reverence, and we should stop making it a performance and you know theatrics on on Sunday morning. And we should treat it with respect. Like this is a holy thing that you know we're doing. And I think all churches could do that. Where the Catholics, they couldn't come along and say, "This is why I'm Catholic." <laughs> you know, like, like, don't give them an excuse to, to, you know, to say that. Right. Like, like, don't have that pastor coming down on that zip line. <laughs> like, insert the yeah. Greek Orthodox who, you know, th- they do have a sacredness for church and tradition, and be like, "This is why I'm Orthodox." Yeah, he's right. You know, you got that zip line pastor coming in. Get rid of that. And we don't have to be a denomination. We don't have to be an institution to recognize. Okay, this is a problem. Let, let's. Everybody stop doing this yep. and let's start shaming the ones that do do that. Like, let's, like, let's start shaming them and, and exposing them. Yeah. That's not Protestantism. That's not what we, what Martin Luther envisioned. Yeah. And this is wrong. And let's go back to more scriptural Christianity, primitive Christianity. And as a white pill, I think those denominations and those churches, especially, because you got to keep up in the ante. I mean, if you're doing zip lines and you have the, the whole choir <laughs> and you're dressing in the coolest clothes, like that's what. What you win people with is what you win them to. And and there's yeah. going to come a time, especially as like wokeness is fizzling out. I really think it is like it's not as popular it as it was. DEI is going down the tubes. It's either being banned or those programs are being rolled back and that money isn't so there isn't a free faucet of 0% interest rate. Wokeness is going down the tubes. And, and so these churches that built their identity on inclusion, that built it on wokeness or even just built it on entertainment. They're not going to last as people return in some sense. They want more stability. They want less smoke and mirrors and pomp and show. And so I don't think they're, I don't think elevation is here for 400 years to stay. It's not. Yeah. TD Jake's church is not going to, I don't think it's going to last much longer than his death, the Potter's house. It'll certainly still be pumping out content for maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but they won't be influential. I think that's the difference. I don't think they'll be influential. So some of it is enduring building our own cathedrals in the meantime. I mean, there's cathedrals. I think the one is in Cologne, Germany. It took 800 years to build, 500, 600, 800, hundreds of years. Uh, and so I, I don't know why. There's no pallets in the back of the stage. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? Churches yeah. that put pallets in the back of, for, for funny lighting. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, of course. All that work. <laughs> they didn't do the best interior design tip possible. No, um, took hundreds of years to build. So if... We're about to see these entertainment-focused churches slowly die out over the next hundred years. 
let's be building something on the side. And so then in a hundred years, those are gone. And an individual that recognizes their sin and their need for a savior is looking and seeing a rigorous, established, grounded tradition with a connection to its roots, a connection to its history that adorns itself. Stephen Wolf talks about this in his book, but you can adorn earthly life with things that remind you of heaven. Like I'd be okay with statues of the reformers, not in the church, but on the outside. Uh, images of Moses and of Paul, not of Jesus and not of God, because he's God is invisible. He doesn't have body parts or passions. But we can adorn earthly life with things that remind us and orient us towards heaven. So let's have that available in 100 years while these entertainment churches die out and see a revival in Protestantism. I think it could happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I do feel like um, the revival is 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 one, I, um, I believe it could happen, like genuinely could happen. It's going to come from God, of course, but I feel like it genuinely could happen. I think even, you know, we're going to see that now in our generation, like, like you know, these church plans, these Acts 29 church, you know, church missions, I think a lot of them were, were exposed. They're not really cool anymore. Acts 29 is done. Like, they are. The, like, it's not like Matt Chandler, David Platt, you know, Tim Keller's dead, but like, you know, the whole like philosophy, it's not cool anymore. It really was exposed as a fad and the these younger generations where it's like you know the 30 year olds now they're getting married they're having kids these churches are going to start to realize wait a minute this dark lit atmosphere isn't appealing anymore mm. they actually want hymns they actually want sunday clothes they want the word preached they want a serious walk with christ that you know they actually want to be christians right like they, <laughs> a crazy like they want to, a surprise crazy christians want to follow god <laughs> You know, who would have thought, you know, they actually want the word, you know, fed to them. Wow. Shocker. Yep. But, you know, the beauty too is that you can do that. You could have a house church and you can have that beauty because beauty is also so simplicity. Yeah. Where it's like, if you go in there and um, like I saw like, you know, this one kid um, or not kid, you know, you know, it's like his mid twenties, I guess, but he's in an Anglican house church. It looks like, and he has that little, um, I don't know, I guess altars, they call it with the communion, you know, you got the little, um, you know, the, the bread, the silver platter, there's candles, there's this icon behind him of like some kind of, I don't know, saints or, or, or maybe even Christ, but there's a, there's a simplicity to that. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And you sing hymns, you have the word preached, you know, um, there, there's a seriousness to it. That's, that's beauty right there too. We can do that even now. Where it's like, okay, cathedrals might be 800 years down the road and we'll never even experience them. But you can treat church serious, serious now and, 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 and uh, be holy and, you know, adhere to that and be a Protestant church. Yep. And you don't have to go, you know, Catholics. And you can look at those churches over there and be like, you're right. Uh, you know, you know, Mr. Catholic priest, this is why you're Catholic. You're right. That, that's wrong. But you don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to be Greek Orthodox. You can adhere to the scriptures and maintain a sacred you know, sacredness and you could be Methodist Anglicans and Lutherans and have that body of tradition as your secondary belief and meet together and be ecumenical. And that's, that's a path forward. But like, yeah, maybe a hundred years from now we'll, we'll be back. And I know we have problems now, but don't be out of the fight. We need you in the fight. We need mm. Protestants in the fight to start working back towards this. Like just because there's a problem doesn't mean I'm going to sit at home. I'm, I'm going to convert to a different, you know, tradition. Don't do that. We, you know, we need fighters. We need people like you enduring and, and being on the front lines and like, 
you know, having the burden of, man, you know, I know this is not what we should be, but again, let's, let's start being faithful now and work, work back towards it. And I think that that's a path forward for Protestants because there, you know, there, there is a tons of problems in the Catholic church that are unscriptural, like justification by faith alone. We're not going to that. I'm not going to the, to the vicar. I'm not going to have a vicar of Christ. You know, that doesn't exist. You know, there is no Pope. He is Christ is the head of the church. Yeah. Yep. Um, Amen. And better a house church, simple with genuine faith in Jesus with right worship, worship in spirit and in truth than the most beautiful cathedral full of dead, empty, hollow, faceless, nameless religion. I just like, it could be the most beautiful. You think of these women bishops or whatever, and they have the LGBTQ. I will, I will meet, I will meet in a field, a farmer's field with cows and worship. And it will be more beautiful than all the trappings of modernism as it hollows out um, this tradition that used to be. Cause that's what, that's what modernism does. It takes what's good and it guts it and then it wears it as a suit. So it takes the, the validity, the trust that was in that and it wears it externally while inside it's hollow and full of deadness. And so that's, yeah, I mean, that's the crux of it. True believers worshiping the true Christ. Aesthetics do matter, you know, being encouraged in your faith by the different objects, the different adornments of encouragement for earthly life. They do matter. Um, Tradition matters. Uh, But at the end of the day, if one or the other, true worship or false worship, empty worship, true worship every time. And every Christian I know would, true Christian would affirm that. But sometimes that's what you're facing. The The Catholic parish it's just, I mean, I'm, I remember watching a service one time from ours locally here, and the priest was talking about this vision that kids had of angels in Mexico. Like, like, give me the stuttering seminary student who at least is laboring to bring a vision of Christ crucified to the flock than that. Give me the struggling seminary student in the basement versus the nice building, the procession of the mass, the robes, talking about some fake vision down in Mexico. And, and you'll get that even at, at like, you know, again, like the Acts 29 churches too. It's like, you know, you, you know, you get that fakeness, right? Like they can look cool, but cool, cool is not holy. Right. Hip is not holy. Mm. Hip is not sacred. And we traded, you know, we traded all that, that in for it, but we can go back and a lot of kids are, are waking up to this and hope, and, and I'm, and I'm hoping that, that these church plants will, will be dead within our generation. I, I think they are like, do you, you know, do you agree with me, Wes? Like, I think like, you know, you know they probably have like what, like, what do you think? Like, 10 years on them? Like, 10 years from now, do you think Acts 29 will still be in church plant, that 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 woke side, the gospel coalition? Do you think they'll still be in, uh, I guess, in play? Or do you think they'll be smaller and, like, it's kind of faded? Because we do have a lot of young kids still within, you know, within that 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 church atmosphere. But, yeah. you know, they, you know, they got a life on them, and then it's going to expire soon. So I'm hoping, honestly, within 20 years, they're done. Yeah, I think Acts 29 has definitely peaked. They're not going to, because Mark Driscoll was a better leader than Matt Chandler. He had his flaws. He was a better leader and he built it to what it was. Matt Chandler is stewarding the decline. Yeah, Acts 29 is not going to grow bigger than they once were. Um, And a lot of these smaller like church plans, and to be fair, some of them, they really are. Even if the pastor's sitting down on a stool, which is dumb. I think some of them really are, many of them, preaching the gospel in that they are emphasizing I will say the young restless reformed was very clear. Like it's not works that saves you. It's faith in Jesus, um, an emphasis on doctrine. Like you need to believe in the Trinity. You need to believe um, this in regards to salvation, what it's of. Um, so I think there are true churches. 
I don't think they're going to last though. Like it, it's all well and good. You know, like the first, first few weeks of working out, you're in, you're excited, but then there's a long haul ahead. And uh, so there's a lot of church plants last two years, last five. And I know churches, they planted in 2017. They're a handful now, like a church I used to attend. That was an Acts 29 church plant. And it's really pretty small. Like it's had its peak already. It's not even seven years old. I went there too. Yep. Uh, I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the one we went oh. before. Like the really? church we Which went to, they're going to still continue on, but I think they're going to struggle to get leaders. Cause that's the other thing. It's not just like leaders or money short term. It has to be sustainable. And I don't think they are. Well, even, and even just ima- you know, like imagining going back to like, like I'm married now trying to raise my family, you know, biblically, I could dude. I couldn't imagine going back to that atmosphere no. where it's, it's so immature. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I look back at it. I'm like, dude, that was so immature. And I, I, I honestly, I just couldn't, you know, maybe we're getting off track. You're talking about Acts 29 churches now. <laughs> well, I remember passing up the local Presbyterian church because it wasn't as cool and hip and the families weren't as young. Yeah. Idiot. That right? church is not helpful for me or my wife. Looking back on it, we made I, some good friends. I but. didn't even meet my wife in. Yeah, I didn't even meet my wife in those cool churches. It was, I, you know, ironically, I met my wife at a Bible study during COVID <laughs> when we were meeting because churches were closed and we were just meeting as faithful Christians. How ironic is that? Yeah. So it's like you know, you know, you go there to make friends and date and find find your spouse. I didn't even find her in that. <laughs> it, it was a total opposite. So it's like, what you know, what did I get out of that? Well, I mean, I. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I made some friends, you know, yeah. you know, you and I became friends. That's the so, thing you know, though, is the people that are meant for more, not meant for, maybe that's a little bit too self-adulatory. Uh, <laughs> the individuals that care about their walk with Jesus, they're not going to stay in these churches long-term because what they're going to do is they're going to hear Calvin quoted from the pulpit and then they're going to read Calvin and go, wait a second, you, you're not anything like Calvin. Like Calvin had a Christmas yeah. service and people came in instead of cheering them on and dressing up in his fancy suit. He's like, some of you are just here because you think you'll get extra points with God for coming on Sunday. How dare you? So these people, they're going to read Calvin and they're going to read Edwards. They're going to read Wesley and they're going to leave. Or they're going to say like, yeah, I want a church with a robust, thick culture. The one we're talking about that we would hope Protestantism becomes. Really what, you know, what we need to do, I mean, we can end on this, but Protestants need to be and become more Protestant. Because if you look mm. at them and, you know, you know, like I've been reading just like John Wesley notes, Adam Clark, Joseph Benson, John Gill, Matthew Henry, like, you know, just notes on the Bible. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of putting away this contemporary commentaries. They did theology, hermeneutics, eschatology, you know, you know, um, all forms, soteriology, ecclesiology better. Yeah. So what we can do is Protestants need to become more Protestants because right now we're not Protestants, I would say. Hmm. We're not protesting anything, right? And, you know, we're just in a, you know, like an anomaly in church history who thinks we're the inheritors of the Reformation and, you know, these traditions of Methodism where it's like, we're not anything like them. So let's become more Protestant. Right. Let's, let's dive deeper into what the Protestants were, were going after, you know, whether that's Puritanism um, or this, you know, Presbyterianism, historical in a format. Methodism in historical format, Anglicanism. Let's become more more Protestant, and that will help us get away from this. You know, um, this is why I'm Latin, or, or this is why I love the Latin Mass. This is why I'm Greek Orthodox. Where they again, they can't say it. Don't give them an excuse, and yep. they do have a point. This is not sacred. This is not holy. Don't call yourself a Protestant. Don't quote Calvin. 
if you don't actually want you know to go after those ideas and beauty because you know they they got a lot of things right and they wouldn't agree with the church nowadays either so it's like really this facade of oh this is why i'm i'm uh, not protestant well, even then, then that's not a fair, fair critique because they're not even seeing what Protestant is in its beauty and its height and mm. its apex and what it envisioned. We're not living out the Protestant dream, really. Isn't yeah. that sad? We're not living out the vision of the Reformation. This isn't it. Th- th- this is not it. There, there, there's a better vision. There's a better path forward. Of course, and absolutely first, it starts with revival. So, you know, just pray, you know, pray, pray for a revival and awakening. And then we can, you know, go towards maybe denominations and institutions, but that's kind of like a conversation maybe later. Yeah. No. Yeah. Last thing I would say is right. Don't let the Catholic claim. We have the history. We have the tradition. We have the writers, we have the scholars. And you kind of think you're stuck in this neo-fundamentalism isolationist me and my Bible. Like we have such a rich history, not just mm-hmm. Luther. I mean like the English Puritans I've mentioned Wesley. Yeah. I mean, you go to Columbia university in New York. So, you know, like real conservative, backwoods no uh an ivy league school and on the front of the school is jonathan edwards's name alongside george washington and others because he was such an incredibly brilliant man you are not brian Sauvé would say the lesser sons of former sires you are not the bastard off child that nobody really wanted and if you're going to make it you kind of just got to put your head down and not let the insults hurt no you we have a rich tradition of 500 years the men who started the Protestant Reformation, who continued to reform the church, were bold, courageous, godly men. And we can actually follow in that path. They're not locked in history. It's going to take you being unpopular. It's going to take sacrifice. But we can follow in their paths, work to reform the church. And so, yeah, we got to stop thinking that like it's, yeah, we got nothing. We're, you know, we're left. We're the stepchild that nobody wanted. Uh, no, we're all priests. To God, as Peter would say. Uh, and we have a rich, rich intellectual tradition to love, to explore, to use, and of course, a risen Christ to preach. Yes. Amen. So sorry. So sorry to disappoint our audience. Uh, Wes would have made a great alto boy. Probably better than me, I feel like. <laughs> do, we, do we have to wear white robes with it though? Because white isn't really my color. <laughs> There, there's a Christmas song album that my mom would have played, The Carpenters, and there was a song, Little Altar Boy. And I would always think, you know that one? That should be our, I don't know it, but that should be our intro song now. <laughs> Dude, uh, it gets blasphemous. It's like something about, I think she said something about like, take away my sins or something like that. She said something wacky Ooh. in it. <laughs> yeah. uh, guys, this is episode two of the Layman's Lounge. So, you know what, Wes? I'm going to give him a sneak peek. Episode three is what? Should Christians be pietists? pietists we're going to start talking about that and maybe hey if you guys uh, have any ideas or something you'd like us us to talk about give us uh you know drop a comment in and every wednesday at 3 p.m like and share and subscribe it, this helps get get uh you know our, our content in front of people's faces so we just want to help the church out and uh, you know advance advance the truth of the scriptures so again thank you again until next time we're signing off god bless <laughs>